Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey listening to really loud music on his phone. Michael Borky and Brian Haydad. What are you doing, Rippy? I uh, opened up a message that ended up being one of those iPhone games, and it just exploded on me. You ever had somebody play a trick on you with an email or a message that you open in a place where you shouldn't? Yes, in class, actually. Twice. Really? How'd that go? Uh, not not well at all. Tell me more. I don't want to go any further. Oh, no. Tell me more. No. Uh, it was, uh, I opened up a browser in class one time to a cruder version of a Renoir exhibit <laughs> in front of a lot of people. I'll leave it there. Did anybody Live else see action? it? Yeah. There's no getting around it. It was, well, no, no. I take that back. It was, uh, my background on my computer had been changed. Nice. Uh, Nice. I guess. Hey, Dad, have you ever had that happen? Uh, yeah, but it was at a fantasy football draft, and it was done on purpose to me. I, I, I moved away from my computer for a little bit, and I came back, and there was something on there. I was doing, Borky, I was doing a women's basketball radio broadcast in Hartford, Connecticut. I think it was an NCAA tournament game. So I was sitting there waiting on the game to start, pregame show, you know, about to go, whatever, Got my computer open, and I get an email from a buddy of mine saying, hey, check this out. And, I mean, good grief, this was over a decade ago. Like, email was barely a thing at the point at that time. I mean, it was a thing, but anyway. So I click on the link or, or click on the attachment, and immediately my entire screen goes to, like, neon, and it's flashing, I am looking at gay porn, I am looking oh, at gay porn. God. And I have no idea how to close it out. So I just like just slam the top of the computer down. I have no idea how many people behind me sitting in the stands saw this flashing neon light. <sighs> Fun times. Fun times. Sports talk. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. That's the number for you to be a part of the conversation this afternoon. Love to hear from you. Um, a bunch to get to this afternoon. We're going to talk some college basketball today. We obviously will spend a lot of time on college football, uh, particularly the coaching search, which is into another day in Starkville. Um, but we'll talk some college basketball. Ole Miss plays at Texas A&M tonight. Game number one of SEC play does not seem like the time to appropriately use the phrase must win. But in terms of thinking about potential postseason opportunities for Ole Miss, 
kind of a must-win game, or, or at least a can't-lose game. And I don't know if there's a difference between a must-win and a can't-lose. That maybe is kind of where Ole Miss is sitting as they tip off tonight in College Station. Mississippi State will play Game 2 of league play tomorrow. Uh, Richard Williams will join us coming up in uh, in just a few minutes. We'll talk with him uh, about this Mississippi State team and maybe the uh, SEC bigger picture stuff and a whole lot of coaching to talk about, not just as it pertains to Mississippi State, but the New York Giants, which kind of pertains to Mississippi State, the Carolina Panthers, which in a roundabout way maybe kind of pertains to Mississippi State as well. Uh, all of this seems to be uh, attached a little bit, and we'll get into that with you this afternoon. Hey, Dad, just kind of out of the gate, where are we? What do you know? What's going on? As um, I guess a lot has happened, or kind of a lot has happened, since we wrapped things up at 6 o'clock last night. I, I would go so far as say a lot has happened. I, I think Mississippi State had their guy. I think it was going to be Joe Judge, and then the New York Giants came in and Made him the offer he couldn't refuse, and now he's the head coach. This guy was the special teams coordinator of the New England Patriots yesterday. Today he is the head coach of the New York football giants. That's quite a leap. Um, and, and now Mississippi State's sort of, uh, they're in, they're in backtracking mode a little bit. You know, I know Todd Grantham's name has been thrown out there. I'm not going to be surprised at this point if State doesn't decide to make one more run towards Billy Napier. Uh, that, that, that's popping up all over the place, and I, I believe it to be true. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, if it's not Napier, then I would think Grantham is a name to watch. Could Mark Hudspeth finally start to show up? I mean, at some point, State's going to need a win. They're going to need a guy where they offer him the job, and he just says, yes, Mark Hudspeth is definitely that guy. Um, but that's where MSU is right now. I am I am I feel pretty confident in saying they were preparing to name Joe Judge the head coach, and the Giants pulled the rug out from underneath that. Yeah. So what about the whole Hudspeth text message to his assistant coaches, get ready to go defend the OVC title next year? Was that because well, that he would... believed he was not going right. to be considered for the job? I, I mean, I think at that point that he was not a candidate, and then it could reach okay. a point where he becomes a candidate. All right. Um, The whole make one more run at Billy Napier thing. Mm-hmm. What's that all about? Well, I mean, I think he was the top choice all along. Um, you know, I think when they, I think they realized that he may not have been that interested, that they went to Judge and Judge got got there and was the number one guy. But he's the number one. Napier was the guy coming into this that everybody thought and that, that felt like it was the best fit. And now they're going to go back and see if they can't find a way to make it work. I think I don't know why he turned them down in the first place. Maybe it was a money thing. Maybe, you know, some questions about his staff and then how he was going to fill it out. I don't know. But now I think they're going to go back and I think from from Mississippi State perspective, you need to find a way to make it work. Because if you can go back and get Napier, you can just say, well, you know, that was our guy all along. And it's believable. It was. I think it was the guy all along. But if you if you miss out on Napier, now you're 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 definitely into the next tier of candidates. I don't think that Grantham and Hudspeth and anybody else for that matter would have been in the same tier as Napier and Judge were. Um, are you under the impression, because I am, that some of the people involved in the conversation or the process with Billy Napier are not necessarily the same people that were involved just a day or two ago? 
That's been a hot rumor that 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 there may have been a, a change in his representation or something along those lines. Don't 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 have any confirmation of that. Like I said, it's just a rumor. Uh, but the I feel comfortable. The, I feel comfortable saying that it's more than a rumor. Okay. Well, and then if you 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 got that, let's go with it. Uh, but there's definitely in the last 24 hours been he he appears to be a bit more receptive to hearing from Mississippi State now. And of course we have to, we have the Baylor situation as well. You know, is he going to be a candidate for that job? A lot coming in from you on the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Uh, let's see here. We'll just start with the most recent and kind of work our way back. Richard uh, Jeff says, Richard, do you think Billy Napier is more interested in the Baylor job now? I, I don't know if that's the case. I do know that I had some conversations back at the beginning of the weekend uh, with some folks involved in college football that said Billy Napier viewed Baylor as an attractive opportunity, but there was question as to whether or not that job was going to open. I mean, obviously, everybody was waiting to see what Matt Rule was going to do. It was generally thought that Matt Rule was likely going to be the next head football coach of the New York Giants. And the Giants were interested in him, but the Carolina Panthers outmaneuvered the Giants. David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, interviewed... Uh, Matt Rule in Waco yesterday, and he offered him the job. And he made him a big offer. Seven years, $60 million, with an additional potential $10 million in incentives and whatnot. So that's a deal that could go all the way to $10 million a year. As it stands right now, it's about an $8.5 million contract for seven years for Matt Rule. And there are a lot of reports out there that Matt Rule reached out to the New York Giants. I think he was interested in that possibility. And the Giants said, well, we still want to talk to you, but there is another significant candidate that's out there. We can't guarantee you anything at this point. And at that point, Matt Rule said, you know, bird in hand and whatnot. So Matt Rule leaving Baylor. Um. Sorry, it was kind of a roundabout way to get to answering your question. Do I think Billy Napier is more interested in the Baylor job than the Mississippi State job? Yes, I do. Can Billy Napier get the Baylor job? I don't know. There's been some discussion and some push from Baylor players to hire one of the assistants. Borky, do you remember his name off the top of your... The the guy that... Talked about? I do not. Okay, I'll double check on that. But there's a a name that is um, is is floating out there that's an internal guy, but he's never been a head coach before. So that possibility exists. I, I I've got no idea what Baylor's going to do. What direction McGuire they want to is go? His name. Joey McGuire. Thank you. That's it. Joey McGuire, internal guy, never been a head coach, but was I think the associate head coach there. Tuesday afternoon with you. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. We're going to press pause on the football coaching search conversation. We'll come back to that in just a few minutes because right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Richard Williams 
former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, currently the color analyst on the Mississippi State Basketball Radio Network. Bulldogs lost their SEC opener at home on Saturday to Auburn. They will stick with the from Alabama teams as uh, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, they will uh, be in Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. Coach, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time. What was your takeaway from Saturday, the uh, the Mississippi State Auburn game? Well, at the beginning of the game, it was one of the most physical, uh, intense, hard played games I've seen in a long time. Of course, it was the start of conference play, so you expect the uh, intensity level to pick up a little bit, but. Uh, probably the first 15 minutes of that game, it was really intense. Both teams defending. Neither team could make baskets. Uh, Auburn was over 12 for the, the, from the three-point line in the first half. Uh, at one point in the first half, Auburn was three for 22. Uh, but they were guarding so well, Mississippi State couldn't take advantage of it like they wanted to. Uh, Bulldogs had a 17-9 to lead and just couldn't maintain that lead. Uh, as the second half went on, uh, uh, the intensity level dropped off a little bit for Mississippi State. Uh, but I can tell you, Auburn is really good, Richard. They guard well. Uh, they mismatch you some with, with the speed and the quickness they have. And then uh, uh, Wiley brings a different dimension to them this year. They have a true low-post guy that they can throw the ball to, and I'm not sure they had that last year. I feel like Bruce Pearl, you know, I, I don't know if it's because of some of the stuff in his background, but some people still like press pause on Bruce Pearl. Guy's just a heck of a basketball coach because that's a vastly different team than they had a year uh, ago, and here they are, one of two teams in the entire country sitting here undefeated. Yeah, I, I think he's a really good basketball coach. I think, as you say, you know, he's he gets so much publicity. Of course, his, his pregame pep talks are always taped. He seems to love the microphone and love the camera. Uh, and on the sideline, he's, he's constantly – uh, on the officials and on players and all that. But I think he's an underrated basketball coach as far as what his team is able to do in terms of running offense that uh, fits their personnel. Uh, but, but where they're really good, they're good defensively. I mean, they guard really hard. And I thought losing uh, Harper and Brown last year would, would really make them take a step back. And the guards this year are probably not as good. McCormick and Dowdy are probably not quite as good, but they're good. They're really yeah. good. And both of them played significant minutes on the Final Four team last year. And uh, McCormick, the little point guard, is about six feet tall. We we could not guard him. He had twenty eight points against us uh, Saturday uh, afternoon, and he, we just couldn't guard him. He scored from the three point line. Uh, he scored mid level, and he scored on layups. Uh, so he, he was just a load for us to try to guard. Richard Williams on your radio. We're talking some Mississippi State basketball. You got to help me understand, and I, I know this has got to be frustrating for Ben Howland. But how do you get past the mental lapses? Where you just don't make smart routine plays. I'm thinking about the the opening possession of the second half against New Mexico State in Jackson, where you just kind of lob in the pass and it gets stolen for a dunk the other way. And then it, it was either two or three times on Saturday where you've just got an inbound pass underneath Auburn's basket. You don't make a sharp pass and it turns into points. How do you stop that? I wish I knew the answer, and I'm sure Coach Allen is trying to figure out that answer. But I guess you just have to keep emphasizing how in, in, in league play, in all games, but in league play in particular, every possession is critical. And sometimes players can't seem to understand that. And as you say, there were two instances in the game Saturday where Auburn scored, the Mississippi State inbounder just took the ball casually out of bounds without turning and looking to see what was going on just turned and flipped it inbounds right to an Auburn player for an easy layup. 
And in, in close games against quality opponents, you just can't have those kind of mistakes. And I'm sure Coach Allen has addressed that. I'm sure he addressed it after the game. Uh, they probably had a film session yesterday. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, but I'm sure that will be addressed with the players. Uh, I, I'm actually watching practice right now. And they're working really hard right now on some defensive drills, some rebounding drills, uh, some, some things that, that they're not doing well. You know, this, this Mississippi State basketball team is a great offensive rebounding team. We have three guys average more than three offensive rebounds a game. And we, we rebound 47% of our missed shots. Now think about that. That may wow. be the best offense might be shooting. Go get it. You get, you get almost <laughs> half your missed shots. But we're also one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country. And, and that has to be corrected because of the size, the athleticism, uh, the quickness, and the length that this basketball team has. They just have to be a better rebounding basketball team on the defensive end. Richard, college basketball is made up of all different styles. And maybe that's part of what makes it a great game. I mean, you know, Virginia wins a national championship last year playing pack line defense, which is not a beautiful style to watch if you don't love defense. Um, we've seen North Carolina, you know, run it up and down the floor where they've got high possession rates. And so I get that all different styles win. But when I look at the athleticism on Mississippi State's team, I just can't help but wonder why they don't play faster. You get a stop on the defensive end, and instead of just you know running 100 miles an hour trying to get a transition bucket, a lot of times you see them trying to slow things down at the direction of Ben Howland. Why is well, it that that's the style that he believes in? I think it's the style he believes in. I do think he likes the team to run on missed baskets. I really do believe that because I've heard him talk to the team about that. He wants them to run on missed baskets. Okay. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in the Auburn game, I think the Bulldogs played too fast. Uh, going into that game, Auburn averages, I think, 64 shots a game. The Bulldogs average about 53 shots a game. And in the first half, both teams took 33 shots. And I think for Mississippi State, sometimes with their youth, that might be a little fast. Uh, I, I like transition basketball. I think Coach Allen likes transition basketball on this. Now, if you're asking me why I think we're not better at it, I don't think we have a plan when we run. I, many times if you watch our team play, whoever rebounds the ball brings it down the floor in transition. Uh, and, and so sometimes you have two guys running one lane, nobody running the other lane. Uh, sometimes you don't have a guy running to the rim and, and rim running and posting up. And it's just more of a uh, just everybody run instead of some sort of plan when they run. But I agree with you with the athleticism. Uh, if you outlet the ball to your point guard and, and let the guys fill the lanes and have one of those big guys run to the rim, uh, I think it could be devastating in transition. What do you need to see from Nick Weatherspoon to, to really feel good about him kind of running that offense? I'm not sure Nick Weatherspoon is a true point guard. Uh, okay. I, I think that's one of the issues. Now, he can handle the basketball. Uh, he's strong enough and he's quick enough to get by people with the ball. But Nick's always been a scorer. Well, I saw him as a 10th grade. He wasn't that much of a scorer because they had Quindary who was the scorer. <laughs> but, you know, from his junior and senior year on, and even at Mississippi State, uh, he, he really looks to score uh, more than he looks to pass. He, he's not a guy that's going to penetrate and, and jump stop and pitch to open teammates. He's looking for his shot when he penetrates. Uh, the first game, the game you did in Jackson, I thought he pressed. He, he was just trying too hard. Second game, he played better. Against Auburn, he had four turnovers like in the first five minutes. And then after that, he settled down and played pretty well. He took some questionable shots 
uh, but shots that we needed to get because Auburn's defense was was so good against Mississippi State. The Bulldogs just weren't struggling to run any sort of offense. But Nick made some plays you wouldn't believe. I mean, athletic plays. He had two block shots that were just spectacular plays. And then he had one rebound where he went up above everybody, including the big guys, and, and did that rebound. So that's the athleticism he had. Uh, but he just has to learn to be a point guard. But, you know, he missed almost a full year of basketball. So that's right. uh, he's still getting back in game shape. And, and it's, it's tough to play uh, when you start Southeastern Conference play. When that's the first game that you're playing, that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Hey, only a minute left. I'm curious, though. Reggie Perry now averaging a double-double, almost 16 points, 10 even rebounds per game. Is there more that you can get from Reggie Perry than 16 and 10? I think so. I think he's that talented. Uh, he, he's a he's long, he's athletic, uh, he's a skill player. He can dribble it, he can pass it. Uh, you know, when he's down around the basket, he's really, really good. Uh, now, when he stands out around 22 feet away and tries to hoist up three-pointers, number one, he's not making very many of those. And number two, it takes away one of the best things he does, which is offensive rebound. Uh, but, but you know, as he gets more experience uh, as the season goes on, and I think they'll get him closer to the basket, getting post-ups, I think you'll see his scoring go up for sure. The 10 rebounds, I'm not sure. That, that's a lot of rebounds uh, to average in a game. Yeah, it uh, it certainly has been impressive so far. Big one tomorrow night. I, I said earlier it's a little early in the season to call anything a must-win, but a critical game tomorrow night in Tuscaloosa. No question. It's a game Bulldogs really need to win because they have that one on the road. Uh, they go to LSU Saturday, uh, and that was not going to be easy either. Uh, and then we've got Missouri coming in here on Tuesday. So Bulldogs need to get a win tomorrow night for sure. No nights off when you get into league play. Coach, thanks as always. You know how much I appreciate your insight and your time. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate you calling. That's Richard Williams. He's a color analyst on the Mississippi State Basketball Radio Network. Bulldogs will meet Alabama tomorrow night at Coleman Coliseum. Game is at 6 o'clock Central, so a 6 o'clock local time tip-off on the SEC Network. Dogs are 9-4 overall. Alabama 7-6 and six overall. Both of them 0-1 to start SEC play. Take a quick timeout. Back with you after this. Sports Talk Mississippi. Yes, sir. Do you get any text messages where you're identified as a different person asking you to vote for a specific person? Yeah. uh, I still have a South Carolina area-coded phone number, though, so it's all mostly local elections or something like that. Hmm. I don't get any Mississippi political text messages. It's pretty nice. But do they address you by the wrong name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the Uh, time. Okay, that was the first time. That was a new one for me. Hey, Dad, have you ever had that happen? Uh, no, but I get uh, at least two or three text messages a day telling me to click a link to make a hundred bucks, and they think my name is Talisha. Oh, you kind of look like one. I, I look like a Talisha. <laughs> I got a bunch my of. My mom told me if when I, when I was born that if I if I had been a girl, I'd be Talisha. Yeah. Well, I got some for Beto. They were from Texas, but apparently I'm like in some Texas phone number database. I got this one yesterday. Uh, one on Monday. What? Oh, goodness. William, this is George P. Bush, Texas Secretary of State, says you're not registered to vote. Can we send you a registration form? I guess you could send it, but no. Then I got one yesterday. This is Senator John Cornyn with the Texas GOP. Again, not registered to vote. Rippy, you got one, didn't you? 
Yeah, apparently I'd never I'd never been exposed to this until today, but I got one addressing me as Ronald, and coincidentally enough, uh, it is about the Bernie Sanders ah, 2020 campaign. No! <laughs> I actually I thought for like a good yes! five minutes on my drive over here that uh, it was some kind, one of the listeners had gotten a hold of my phone number and was like screwing with me, but uh, yeah, but I responded and said, actually, I pronounced my name Karl Marx, and hell yes, I am. <laughs> Feel the burn. Love it. But, yeah, no, that was the first for me. I've never gotten one of those. Hey, if I didn't think we'd get stuck with, like, getting spam emails and phone calls and will you order, I would order Rippy a a Bernie T-shirt. <laughs> would you wear it? Would you wear a Bernie 2020 shirt if I got it for you? Not in public. With your jean shorts? No, well, maybe. Maybe. Now we're talking. Maybe yes, we could yes. string it into some charity thing again, like when I almost died off Pringles, but uh, probably just not out, you know, to stroll around the park in or anything. Hey, I also got this while I was sitting in church on Sunday morning. Let's see, see if I can find this one still. Uh, here we go. Hey, this is Bailey. I think the motor in my washer went out. I'm in the middle of laundry, and I went in to check on it. There's a burnt plastic smell, and the load has stopped. I've tried restarting, but the smell just gets worse, and the washer shuts off. Can you have someone come and look at this today, please? Thanks. I I hate it when my my load gets stuck and it starts to smell. That's awful. (laughs) I responded, sorry, but I think you've got the wrong number. Good luck. He goes, huh, sorry. Thanks. I actually did that this morning with someone I am reaching out to. I was reaching out to someone to interview them for a story, and I don't know. I, I don't know said person. Like I'd never met them in person before, and I was actually trying to send a message to my girlfriend about a television show we're watching, and the the text message said they've been brainwashed. But I accidentally sent it to them in the middle of conversing about an interview time. So, whoops. Yeah, sorry, wrong person. No context needed. Uh, Philip and Starkville in the ceasefire text line. Bye, Felicia. Talisha by Talisha. Talisha. Uh, King Biscuit wants to know why you would try to restart your washer after that. That's a reasonable question. Reasonable question. Um, Greg says, I wish somebody would tell me, other than that Harlem Globetrotter run around in circles at the top of the key, handing it off to each other thing, really what offense are they running? Looks to me like... Who got the ball? Go for it. It's hard to watch at times. I did tell Greg, I'm uh, I'm actually taking my kids to see the Globetrotters next week, and I'll uh, compare and contrast offensive styles for him after the game. And they run that lost, dunk so city offense. And for someone who's never seen the top of anyone's head, the dunking is inspirational. Are you going to go see them? The Globetrotters? Probably not. Why not? I'll think about it. Are you going to sit home and like go online and watch Bernie rallies? No, that's usually a Wednesday deal, so Thursday might be free. Okay. Stan and Ripley Cross, why are you looking at your phone at church? I didn't say I looked at it during church. I said the message popped up while I was in church. Well, you pay attention to the wrong the message, fact. buddy. <laughs> I responded after the fact. Uh, Jeff says, when you were telling the story about the wrong person texting you, I was literally putting something in my washer. Jeff, if it smells like burnt plastic, don't run it another cycle. Don't run it another cycle. Um, so, hey, Dad. Yes? Joe Judge, you think, was going to be the head coach at Mississippi State? Yes, I, I firmly believe that was the case. 
And then the New York football giants entered the picture, and it was over. That simple? Pretty much. Pretty much. Who's turning that? I mean, you're an NFL coach. You're interested in the college job because it's your alma mater. But if an NFL coaching job, head coaching job opens up, nobody's nobody's turning that down, I don't think. And, and let's be honest. It's not just an NFL head coaching job. It's the Giants. It's that's, the New York a... football Giants. Yeah. I know they've been a bit of a disaster as of late, and you still got to deal with the whole Dave Gettleman thing. But you're talking about one of the iconic franchises in the NFL. Exactly. You look like you had something important to say, Rippy. If I, I know there's only so many jobs, but if I were, that would be on the very bottom of my list. The New York Giants NFL job, yes. They're becoming a bit structured like the Knicks, into where you're just set up for failure from the beginning. But neither here nor there. I get it when it's compared NFL versus college. I get it, but if that if I had a pick of multiple NFL jobs, that's towards the bottom. Yeah, but in terms of he did not have a pick of multiple NFL jobs. He had this job. Yeah, no, I'm not knocking him for it. I was kind of, I guess. Sliding off into another conversation altogether, but yeah, right. If you're Matt Rule and you can choose between the Panthers and the Giants, then yes, that is a smart man because I'm assuming he had that choice. Yeah, yeah, but I think he didn't believe that the Giants deal was a slam dunk. I mean, it sounds like he reached out to the Giants and said, "Look, I've got this offer on the table." And they said, "Well, we'd still like to talk to you, but we're talking to some other people also." I think maybe or, if the Giants had said, yeah, whatever the offer is, we'll match it, you're our guy, let's get this done, then he's probably the head coach of the Giants. The guy grew up in New York City. Or he saw his lame duck GM refer to their analytics department as computer people and was like, actually, I'll go hang with Cam Newton. Borky Rippy's now one of them. Yeah, he is. One of what? Borky got mad about everybody making a big deal of that the other day. I didn't get mad. It's just nerds on the internet or, I mean, flipping out that this guy called them computer people instead of <laughs> data analysts. Like, get over it's, yourselves. You're proving his point, you nerd. No, it's not proving the point. It's He's talking about how, you know, he's become more open to analytics and he hired this team, and then he goes, yeah, computer people. Like... <laughs> Sounds like he's really in tune with what's going on Yeah, but if you hire the right coach, they'll use the data analysts the way they're supposed to be used. As long as you're providing them as a service, then who cares what you call it? As long as you're doing it, you're not the one coaching the team. Let the coach use them. I I just The splitting hairs on that thing, of all things to be upset about, was interesting. That's a good point. What are that bunch of Geek Squad cars out front? Hey, Dad, you said earlier that you believe Mississippi State is going to make one last run at Billy Napier. Yes. What do, what do you think... Okay, well, let me back up for a second. Sure. Based on your reporting and the information you've been able to gather, mm-hmm. you believe that Mississippi State has made at least one run so far at Billy Napier? And I don't know how, you know, I, don't, I know they haven't talked to him face to face, which, you know, that's probably a good, you know, you want to talk to somebody face to face before you hire them. Uh, but there, there has been enough, you know, of the feeling out process that this is what we're willing to do. We, we would want this. Well, what about this? And there's been some back and forth there. We'll put it that way. Okay. So what do you think if Mississippi State is going to make air quotes here one last run at Billy Napier? What do you think will be different? Do you think it's financial? 
there, there's a financial difference. Well, and that's something you 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 wonder about. You think about like Missouri giving Eli Drinkwitz the uh, the the the, the four million dollars a year when you're thinking guys a guy with one year of head coaching experience. Could it be a situation where state sort of has has outbid itself a little bit, and they're going to have to come back? You know, knowing now that I mean, anybody with common sense knows that they wanted Judge to be the coach, and it didn't work out. So now you're back to Napier, and Napier knows that a after me, it's it's a drop down a little bit. I can probably demand a little bit more than I than I deserve, and you know, state can probably look at it and say, look, well, we may have to overpay to get our guy. So that might be. I think it might be. There's there's definitely going to be some financial considerations there for sure. Um, I think that's especially true if uh, Billy Napier now is being represented by the most powerful man in college football, which which you're you're saying, but which I believe to be true. Yeah, that we believe that uh, Billy Napier is now a Jimmy Sexton client. Yeah, yeah. Um, wonder what that number is. I'm sure the first number is at least four, and it's probably between that and five. Hmm. We'll continue this conversation. But first, we'll take a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, question on the table. If you're Billy Napier... I mean, obviously, you're in a good position right now because you, if we believe everything that's out there, there is a job that's open where you are the guy they want. And so, from a bargaining position, you're kind of holding most of the cards. But here's the other thing with Billy Napier. You know, maybe Baylor, let's for now, let's just say that Baylor is not part of the equation. Because it's a slightly educated opinion, maybe more than slightly educated opinion, that if there is an opportunity to take Baylor or Mississippi State, that Billy Napier would take Baylor. That's not a knock, it's just what I've been told. But let's just pretend for a second that Baylor's not part of the equation at all. They decide to hire a guy internally, or I don't know, they go hire Jason Garrett, whatever. So let's say Baylor's not part of the equation. And you are in Billy Napier's shoes. What do you do? Now, if you're a Mississippi State fan, you go, well, hold on a second. What you do is you take our job... Because you're about to go from a million bucks a year to four or five million a year, and it's in the SEC West, and it's prestigious, and there are not that many jobs out there, etc. So, hey, now, what do you think Billy Napier is looking at in terms of making a decision, if indeed there is a decision to be made by him about Mississippi State, knowing that Louisiana Lafayette's got a team coming back in which they will be the favorite to win their league and probably win 10 or 11 games, and he will one year from the first week in December, so 11 months from now, once again be an incredibly hot name, maybe even a hotter name in the coaching search world. I mean, that's the thing. Are you, are you going to bet on yourself, basically? That's where, where you are if you're Billy Napier. Um, is there is there another job in the SEC that intrigues you? Looking ahead to 2020, you know, 
State, Ole Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, all with new coaches. So they're safe. Saban, Smart, Orgeron, uh, Mullen, safe, right? They're not going anywhere ne- after next season. Jeremy no Pruitt's safe. Jeremy Pruitt's safe, no, no matter what happens, right? So what, what's the what's the job? It's South Carolina, right? So you have okay. to ask yourself. South it, Carolina it, you or to, Auburn? I would think Auburn would go higher than Billy Napier. That's just a thought, but that's just my, my opinion. But South Carolina, that would be a good job for Billy Napier. Mississippi State, I think, would be a good job for Billy Napier. Which job do you want more? And then you have to ask yourself, are you willing to bet on yourself? Because you said it, you know, they, they should have a good team coming back, should be the favorites in, the, in that conference again. Um, what if it's but, outside the SEC? Well, and that's, that's if, the other question. I, I don't know that it is for, for Napier. I don't know what his, 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 I don't know what his dream job would be. You would think, you know, he's a South Carolina guy, isn't he? He went to Furman. So, you know, you would think South Carolina might be up high, up pretty high on his list. Dabo's not going anywhere at Clemson. Um, you just, you're betting on yourself though, because with all of these group of five coaches, the, the, the lesson is the same. You're one six and six season away from not ever being on anybody's radar ever again. So, you know, if you're betting on yourself, you, you better deliver. You know, if you have another big year next year, great. You're right back in the mix. You go seven and five next year and, and then all of a sudden the, uh, the bloom is off the rose. Yeah. I wonder. Okay, I I don't disagree with anything you said with regard to betting on yourself. I wonder when he looks at the Mississippi State job and is kind of mulling this over beyond just okay, what's it going to do to my bank account? And and, and I don't know that there's any way for you or me or any of us to actually answer this question. But I wonder how he's evaluating the job. What's he looking at? Is he looking at the roster? Is he looking at the league? The division, the schedule, the expectations. And we got a message from George um, a second ago. I think it was George. Yeah, he says, I still think it's going to be hard to find a football coach at Mississippi State because we just fired a coach after two years when he went to back-to-back bowl games. I get that, but I think that's less to do with expectations and more to do with there was a, a fear that, that discipline issues were overtaking the program. Yeah, because I mean, I, I don't think wins and losses is what got, lost Joe Moore hit his job. I think these two things can be true. I think Mississippi State is a good job, Re- really good job for that matter. But I think you can say that about thirteen of the fourteen SEC jobs. I think Mississippi State is probably. I was having this conversation with a, a guy yesterday that works in the state of Florida. It's probably the 12th most difficult job in the SEC. Would you agree with that? I sort of lump them all together and then, then, then sort of into tiers. So, yeah. I, maybe. Sports Talk Mississippi. More coming up with you after a quick timeout. His eyes are cold and restless. Story from WBRZ TV, ABC affiliate in Baton Rouge. The LSU Tigers may be competing for a national title this coming Monday, but the university says it still expects everyone to show up for classes that day. Students have been clamoring for the school to cancel classes every day since they realized the first day of the spring semester would fall on January 13th. 
the same day as the Tigers' national championship battle at Clemson. Unfortunately for them, a school spokesperson confirmed Tuesday there are no plans to cancel classes the day of or the day after the game. Should LSU cancel classes for the national championship game? It's question number one. But I think the more important question is, if LSU were to cancel classes for the national championship game, should they cancel classes on Monday, January 13th, or on Tuesday, January 14th? Tuesday is more of the day you should cancel classes because... Well, I guess you're in Baton Rouge, so maybe most everybody will be making their way down, but you can go to class and then still go to the game. Hell, you can go to class and even get to New Orleans and be at the game, really, on Monday if you wanted to. It's Agreed. The, the Unless you've got after. a night class. Right, and th- those are few and far between. Tuesday well, is when you need to give them the day off. I And I find it funny, look, no, nobody should have to go to class the day your school's playing for a national championship, but when you think about it, There is no better billboard for a Southern University than your team, your football team, being in the college football national championship. Ask Alabama what football success has done for them. So give your kids the day off and move it back a day. And it's the state that in part elected a governor because the football teams were so good, nobody wanted change. So, I mean, (laughs) come on now. Isn't the the easy thing to do, say... Uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, the spring semester will begin on Wednesday, January 15th. And it won't make a lick of difference at all, those two days. Unfor- you know, air quotes, unforeseen circumstances? Sure. Well, it does anything on the first day of class anyway. Just tell your teachers, look, all you do is give out a syllabus on the first day anyway. Just give out your syllabus and teach the first class on what would have been the second day of class. I think. Sounds fair. Just cancel syllabus day. Half the people don't go to the first day of class anyway. Football game or not. Where I went to college, you got dropped if you didn't go to the first two weeks. I'm not suggesting you miss the entire first two weeks. No, 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 no. If you miss one class in the first two weeks, you got dropped out of the class. Are you serious? Yeah. That's a fairly uniform policy. I thought the deal was you had for the first two weeks to add a class. I don't know. I mean, I guess we were both in college about at the same time. It could have changed since then. Shut up, Rippy. Saying. (laughs) It's usually how it goes. I mean, I I think that's a thing. I I could be wrong. Maybe it's just that... Here. I remember adding a class like two weeks into the semester at one point. You can do that. I remember forgetting to drop a class and got an F in economics one hundred and one. Drop like up until like five six weeks in. Oh really? But if you're in it, you got to attend because there's waiting lists and such. Hmm. Okay. So that's the real predicament here. I think it's like if the, if the semester started this week, because really it's really just like they some teachers send to lax off after the first week. If it was this being the start, I guess is what I'm saying, probably throws more of a wrench in it than anything. Yeah, but if you're a teacher, are you really dropping people out of your class if they don't show up the day of the national championship game? I mean, there will be some that do it. Yeah, they're the same ones who send in protests. You know when. You get a, a new indoor practice facility. Well, what about you know what about our our library? It's, yeah, like, I guess like, this is like, why you major in business and not philosophy. Yeah, 
I dropped a philosophy class, coincidentally enough. Because you didn't go on the first day or because... No, no, no. I got, I got to the first test on that one. Yeah. It's kind of one of those where you say, is this English? And then I figured I was toast after that. Do you guys use your forgiveness grades? I never used one, I don't think. Really? Nope. I mean, I was trying to better myself as a young man. Mm-hmm. Forky, did you ever use a forgiveness grade? No, and I probably should have because my GPA sucked. But uh... yeah, you, you, you were allowed to use up to two back in my day, old man. Oh, I was told you had six. Oh, we had, yeah, six. Six? Yeah. Because they Good just want you to... I could have graduated with like a 2.5. Uh, well, yeah, but the, well, those six classes equal an extra semester, which is like, I don't know, 10, 15 grand, and you get a few thousand students to take an extra semester, and boom, you can pay for all the undeserved tenure. Now that took a turn. <laughs> that took a turn. Ceasefire text line open to you, 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. Hey, Dad, what was the question I left hanging at the end of the last hour? I just don't remember. I know it pertained to coaching search and whatnot, but... Oh, gosh. We were going to come right back to it, my friend. I got wrapped up in forgiveness grades, which I've never heard of, so... Yeah, Something along the lines uh, of Billy Napier gambling on himself. What what is he waiting for? We were talking about that. Yeah, so the forgiveness grade thing is if you perform poorly in a class... It was... was, uh, is MSU the twelfth hardest job or whatever it is in the conference? That's right. Oh so yeah, it would yeah. be the. You're saying hold, they're the, hold on, they're hold like on the a second, third real quick. I, wrapping up the forgiveness grade thing. Yeah, there's nothing like failing the same twa- class twice, taking it a third time, and using your two forgiveness grades to replace two Fs with a D. <laughs> nice. Couldn't rig the system like you did Spanish. Uh it actually was <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> oh gosh. Jeez. Maybe there were maybe there were that's what it was. It wasn't a D, it was a B. Or maybe it was even an A. You redid a class because you got an A? The class that I failed the first two times that I took it because of my unwillingness to do the online homework and then eventually got a good grade in it because I did all of the necessary homework. Sure you did. That grade replaced the you should have said the necessary homework got done. But yeah, I got you. All the above. Statue of limitations and whatnot. Anyway. You don't need a degree anymore anyway. No, you're good. They can't rescind it, can they? Well, even if they did, I mean, who cares? It's not if like I it's going to prevent you good. from getting your next job, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. So, hey, Dad, on the difficulty scale... The conversation I was having uh, was with somebody that uh, covers sports uh, in the state of Florida. He said that, you know, far and away, Vanderbilt's the most difficult job in the SEC. He believes that next on that list is Arkansas. So you can either put it at 13 or 2, depending on how. I guess we'll do this the other way. So if, if Vanderbilt is number one on the list of most difficult jobs, he thought Arkansas was 2, and he said he thought Mississippi State was 3. I mean, for me, it's 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 between state and Ole Miss, and it just sort of depends on 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 the day. Sometimes, you know, just just what's going on at each particular university. I would say that you know, in the last four or five years, Ole Miss would have been a more difficult place because you had the NCAA stuff going on, um, and it, it just depends. I mean, you're in Mississippi, where you split the talent basically with your other in-state rival. 
you don't have a, a real national footprint in either school. Uh, you don't, you know, you're not, not going to, you know, just show up and recruit five star kids across the country without question marks being attached to them. Um, you know, you don't, you're not just sitting on a pile of money either way. So, yeah, I mean, those two jobs, I mean, like I said, it just, it just sort of depends. Like right now, it's probably a push. And then because Ole Miss has a head coach in place, maybe they're a little bit ahead of state, but we'll see who state hires and they could flip around pretty easily. Well, and maybe the way the coaching searches went has influenced the way that he was looking at it as well. But again, we're talking about difficulty, not what's a better job. I mean, I don't want us to, I don't, I don't want this to turn into, oh, well, they said that's a better job. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying in terms of challenges that you're up against, maybe there is no difference. I, I don't know. There's not, there's not a ton of difference between the two jobs. Is it opinion. fair to say that, generally speaking, the Mississippi State job is a better job than Baylor, but the current situations with uh, the roster, even though they lose a lot on defense, Baylor does, but the current setup in the Baylor program is a little bit more desirable than the job that you would take at Mississippi State right now with replacing a bunch of guys and then having to kind of fix a culture that it could turn around pretty quickly, but Matt Rule's leaving behind a very stable program with a good roster, and that is not so much the case at Mississippi State right now. Nothing unfair in what you just said. Ceasefire text line, I'm sure ranking State 12 was completely thought out and unbiased. That would mean you ranked either Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri, or Ole Miss ahead of State. I just told you exactly, and you're only partially right. I was just sharing a conversation with I had I had with somebody who's covered the SEC and a, the Florida Gators for a really long time, and he said in his view, Vanderbilt was the most difficult job in the SEC. He thought Arkansas was the second hardest job in the league, and they thought Mississippi State was next. Where's Missouri fall? Good question. But, oh, you know what? He had Missouri twelfth, and then Mississippi State eleventh. That's fair. I'd forgotten about Missouri. Hey, by the way, you have to forgive me for getting Missouri was part of the SEC. That's all right. Most people do. I mean, hey, Dad, seriously, when Rippy goes, well, where does Missouri fit? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about them. He had them behind everybody but Vanderbilt. And they are in the conference, yes. I mean, they've won the East more times than Florida in the last decade, have they not? Twice. Yes, they have. Their second and third year in the league. Uh, Let's see here. Bruce, I'm not sure what exactly I said. You said, Richard, I actually gave you credit for being smarter than that. I'm disappointed. Probably towards your... uh widespread scandal in the Spanish class that's eclipsing Major League Baseball's Stein ceiling problem. Mm. Probably so. Feels like a Bruce problem for giving you credit for being smart. That's just me, though. Oh. How about this from Bruce? Are Mississippi State and Ole Miss really tougher jobs than Kentucky when it comes to football? And if so, why? Is it because they have to play in the SEC West? You nailed it. I think so. Well, hasn't Kentucky, I mean, really made a commitment to football? I know everybody talks about them being a basketball school, but I haven't seen it in person. Um, I, I don't uh, go on the road covering games, but the the images and stuff, and from talking to people like my Mississippi State fan neighbor, uh, the stadium 
renovation project that they did is extremely well done. And they are really investing in football, and people just don't give them credit for it because of the basketball thing. No, you're right. Kentucky's put some money into football, and they, they've, they gave Mark Stoops the time to build that program up, and he's done it. And now they, they're, they're sitting pretty. You know, now they look like they can be a solid number three in the East, which should get you eight to nine wins every year. And as we've discussed on the show before, that's a great spot for Kentucky. They should be completely happy with that. Wait, wait, wait. Did you say solid number three in the East? I think they can be up there with Tennessee, yeah. Okay. You don't think so? I think Stoops is a better coach than Pruitt. Also, is Tennessee, this is, they're one of the programs where it falls into, is this ever actually happening again? Or just people get intoxicated by the orange and Peyton Manning and the big pumpkin, Phil. Hmm. That's worth thinking about a little bit more. I mean, clearly Georgia and Florida are in a different place right now than everybody else in the East. Will the East ever be tougher than the West? There was a time when it was. was a long time. I mean, in, in the 90s, it was. Florida, Tennessee dominated the conference. Depends so, on what know, happens we'll, in Iran, but yeah, probably. There's also, Let's say next 20 years. Very possible. How? Yeah, but for, for that to be possible, there's your first step. Right. But 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 that's assuming uh, you're assuming for that to happen, you've got to have LSU and Auburn hit the tank. You, you've got to have four programs in the West fall on hard times simultaneously, and then have an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State or an Arkansas win back to back Western Division championships. Why of four teams? I would just think the three. Alabama, LSU, Auburn, A&M. Well, it's, Why does A&M it's, get thrown in there? Because I don't really view A&M yeah. that differently than South Carolina right now. I, I agree. Well, I don't know about that, but I agree with Rippy that they're not, they're not in that but same team. Well, you're saying maybe potential to be good, but just where they're at right now, I think it takes three falling off. But you're also assuming that would be Florida, Georgia operating at where they are higher. That really pertains to Florida. Georgia can't really operate that much higher. And then South Carolina and Tennessee or Kentucky getting good? Wouldn't that be what it consisted of? Well, getting good and staying good. Right. It didn't have to happen for a long period. I mean, Ole Miss and State got good for two, three, four years. Like, Yeah. Um, I meant this text message. State's a tough sell right now. He says if... I say he, maybe it's a she, but I think he. If you're Napier, you got to know that it's an uphill battle. And unless things go great, three to four years from now, you're likely fired and will never be considered for a job like that again. I don't know about never, but I get what you're saying. And he points to Jim McElwain and Charlie Strong. Says, with regard to Napier, if he waits, he could parlay it into a much bigger program with fewer obstacles. That worked for Mike Norvell. Hard not to blame him, or maybe hard to blame him. Seems like next year his name becomes the new hot name, and he gets first dibs in the job market. Very well could be some big jobs open next year. Who? Auburn. Yeah. South Carolina. Yeah. South Carolina. Uh, Southern Cal is coming open. Michigan? Uh, that seems like a stretch from a fit standpoint. 
It does, it does but, but big jobs are, are coming open. Um, Texas? Texas could come open. I mean, NFL Black Monday is going to come, and Lincoln Riley is going to get named in some of these jobs again, so he could bolt from Oklahoma. How about Charlie? In my opinion, Freeze is the best candidate out there. If offered by state, I bet he would take it. Totally an opinion. I don't think any of us disagree with he would take it if offered. I just... (laughs) I'm going to very carefully use some wording. Very carefully and very intentionally uh, use this phrase. It is hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea... You'd be a long time listener to get that reference. That John Cohen would even consider hiring Hugh Freeze to be his head football coach. That would be a lot of fun, though. Oh! You don't even get the reference, do you, Hey, Dad? I do not. I do not. I will, I will not well, uh, lie. And that was that the specific so wording that I used on the day that the um, LOI came out. Spend some time thinking about your core values just in case, hey, Dad. You'll need them. (laughs) Charlie says you go for the guy who can win games. Uh, I I get what you're saying, Charlie. And if, if you just want to talk about being a football coach, you're right. Hugh Freeze was a pretty good football coach. Program got away from him in a bunch of different... In a bunch of different ways, including on the field at the end. Yeah, there's more to being a, football, a college football coach than coaching yeah, yeah. football. But then again, in a much different way, Ole Miss hired a guy that that had been the case for one time. Obviously, it takes time. Like, is there ever a point where Hugh Freeze kind of learns from any of this? Well, maybe so. Doesn't appear that that's the. He case would have to start showing though. that he's going to learn from it, but I don't. I don't. Which hasn't happened yet. Right, whereas I would say things. Kiffin probably has in a lot of respects. Yeah, but you, you Kiffin, there also more time has elapsed since then, and they're totally. I'm not comparing the two, saying they're the same thing. But to your point, I guess it still kind of feels fresh and new with Freeze. I mean, what he's been at Liberty a year. Clay and Kill Michael says so. He's not forgivable. I didn't say that, and and I, I have no forgiveness to give one way or the other. With I, I, I don't hold anything. But it's tough to sell that to to somebody when you got to go recruit, and the other schools are going to use what he's done against them. Well, I'm that, that's got a that, four but, star. But that's not even it. That's not even it. I don't know. I'm talking seriously at this point. The the idea of Mississippi State hiring Hugh Freeze. I don't know how he is able to operate as the leader of that program with all that has happened stemming from different parts of that program, media base, you're talking about animus more... between fan bases. I, I, I just don't know how it's tenable, hey, Dad? You're talking about it's internally, not. though, more so than externally. Yeah, I'm not talking about just fans going, oh, we got Hugh Freeze, we'll stick it to you, Ole Miss. And that's not what I'm talking about. That's fine. And that part of it would be, I mean, there are a few things in life that I can think of that could or would be better for this radio program than for John Cohen to hire Hugh Freeze to be the head coach at Mississippi State. We'd get some laughs. 
somebody just said you're talking credibility, Richard. There would be none. Yeah, that's fair. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? Who wouldn't have credibility? How would... Uh, okay. I'm just asking. I no, no, no. I mean, let, let, let's think this out loud. How could, in in some rational world, Hugh Freeze be the head coach of the program that did everything it could to derail his success while he was the head coach at Ole Miss? I got that. And this is never happening. It's more fun to imagine. But is that really a credibility issue or just a... Okay, maybe credibility is not the right word. Yeah. I'm, How about viability? That's fair. I was just confused. Sorry, hey, Dad. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that yeah, credibility was not where you were trying to go with that, I don't think. Again, I think viability is probably the word. I just, I just don't see how it's functional. John Cohen, if you're listening, please do. I mean, I, it, it would be great for us. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Good to have you along on this Tuesday afternoon. What have, have we <laughs> what have we covered today? We covered it all, baby. No stone left unturned. I mean, just just wrapping up what we were where we were a second ago. I mean, it, it can't happen, can it? No, it cannot happen. And, and and it is Hugh Freeze is the head coach at Mississippi State. That that can't happen, right? It cannot, and it will not happen. If it does happen, it would be one of the biggest upsets of all time. We talked about this the other day, but let's just pretend that John Cohen wanted to hire Hugh Freeze. Would Greg Sankey let that happen? I think he would. Um, he was stopped from getting coordinator roles. You know, I don't know the answer to that. But I would say it's more likely now than it has been, if for no other reason a little more time has passed. And Ole Miss is no longer in the situation that it was in for a couple of years. They're not still on probation. They've moved on. There's some positive momentum with the program. See, I think the hang-up, or the biggest hang-up that Greg Sankey had was how can we allow, as a conference, one person to get a program in that much trouble and bring that much embarrassment onto a school and cost a school that much money, lose his job, and then just jump right back into the league making a million bucks a year as a coordinator. While his previous school, on his watch, is left to to languish for his misdeeds, whether there were NCAA penalties or not. That's an educated opinion. Makes sense. But, 
as time goes by, I think it becomes harder and harder to continue to tell programs, no, you can't hire this guy that is a good football coach that you want to hire because of something that he did three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, you know, whatever the, the – I don't know – I mean, this is not like an official law on the books, and so there's not technically a statute of limitations, but I think there's like a theoretical statute of limitations here. I just don't know what it is. Kind of like you'll know it when you see it kind of deal. Yeah. 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 And, and and the thing is, and Greg Sankey can't technically keep a school from hiring someone that it wants to hire. But the relationship between the schools and the conference office despite what a lot of fans want to believe, is pretty good. And there's a lot of respect in both directions. A lot of respect in both directions. Which flies in the face of a lot of conspiracy theories, hey, Dad? It does. What about actual candidates now? If, not, not if, Joe Judge was hired... In New York, and even though we've talked about Napier being, you know, there's a last shot potentially coming, let's pretend that doesn't work out. Who's next? Grantham would be the next guy, I would think. Would people support that fully? Eventually, but uh, at, at, at first blush, it would be taken as a disappointment. I would call it a disappointment. What would Steve Sarkeesian be viewed as, comparatively speaking? For me, Sarkeesian would be a better hire. Uh, I think it would still be viewed as somewhat of a disappointment, but at least with Sarkeesian, you got a guy who's been a head coach, and Grantham is just a career coordinator. You just don't know what kind of, of coach he's going to be. You're talking about Sark? Grantham. Oh, I'm sorry, Grantham. The, the, the difference in the two. Okay. Yeah. Grantham, and they're just a couple of dust-ups on the field, but wouldn't it be not a bad look because it's not that serious, but it would be kind of tough to fire a coach for internal strife in your program, discipline issues. Um, you can use the word culture if you'd like and then hire a guy who has very publicly had outbursts on the sidelines. You're not wrong. I think that would be a, a big concern. For, that would probably be one of the uh, the first orders of business as far as John Cohen and what he would want to talk about with, with Ty Grantham. And he tried to fight Derek Mason like <laughs> two years ago. Yeah, but so did Dan Mullen. Yeah, well, you know, he was in my face. And the I, why is, does everybody want to fight Derek Mason? He's a nice guy. That's the last guy I'd fight, too. I don't know. Ed might not stop until you are underground. Okay, you're, you're, yeah, okay you, you, you're, you're correct. Mason's number two. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before. We may have. He's definitely number two, though. I had a friend send me a message. I think this is pretty well said. Greg Sankey will not stop any athletics director from making a hire of Hugh Freeze. Or anybody, for that matter. He says he will remind them of the baggage that is being inherited, but is not going to say you cannot hire this person. Right. So they will the, the the league office will lay out the particulars. And I think maybe the league office has got a little more grasp 
a little more of a full grasp on the particulars than maybe the rest of the general public's got, and they will make sure that an athletics director understands what they are getting into. It, has that always been how they've done it? Where not that they scared Alabama oh, I don't and know. Tennessee I think away this is from a pretty unique situation. No, I mean with in this case, Alabama and Tennessee in particular, is that how it happened? Where they basically they didn't block it as you said, but they laid out the particulars and they said no. Or do you mean moving forward they won't block it? I don't know the answer to that. And I'm not trying to be coy. No, I, I, no, I just I don't know the. I do believe there was commu- there was communication between the league office and the schools that seriously considered hiring Hugh Freeze to be an offensive coordinator. Um, but I don't know exactly how those conversations went. What would you think about Grantham slash Sarkeesian? Well, I mentioned yesterday, Sark's got a really good reputation as a play caller. And he's considered... I don't know, I'd take it beyond that. I just considered he's a good offensive mind. Period. And Nick Saban has handed him the keys to the offense. So I described Sark to me as the offensive head coach at Alabama. Obviously, it's Nick Saban's team. He's the head coach. He oversees everything. But all of his background is on defense, and he certainly has some input on what they do offense. But when you think of it, How many clashes on the sideline did you see this year? How many times did you see Nick Saban yelling at Sark or furious about offensive play calling in comparison to when Lane Kiffin was calling plays? To be fair, I believe Sark, I don't know this for 100%, was Sark not up in the box? He may have been. Yeah, like, yeah, you're right. He was not. He I was just not feel on the like field. it's easier when Lane's just standing there with the blank looks on his face, and Nick's just <laughs> going to town. Sick, you know. When he's five feet from me, it's a little easier. Yeah, but nobody has talked about. I mean, even. I mean, the people that cover that program. If there was tension between the two, you'd know it. Bottom line is that offense has been prolific. There wasn't a whole lot to complain about for Nick Saban. There may have been a few scenarios where he wanted to run the ball, try and pick up a first down or milk a little bit of clock or something along those lines. But I think Nick Saban has embraced what his offense has become, what their offense has become. I think Steve Sarkeesian is a good football coach. I think there is a different level of pressure. And, I mean, look, I mean, not not exactly groundbreaking here, hey, Dad. Right. The, the level of pressure is significantly different being the head coach and running the program and everything that goes with it, all the media obligations, you know, overseeing recruiting, overseeing the offense, overseeing the defense, maybe being the primary play caller on offense, just the pressure, face of the program. There's a difference in being the head coach and an offensive coordinator under Nick Saban where you're not talking to anybody. Yeah. Publicly. With that pressure comes with having to deal with and cope with the pressure. And I hope it's not unfair to say this, but but obviously there are substance abuse issues in Steve Sarkeesian's past. 
And yeah, for his sake, goodness gracious, you hope that he's been able to get past those. But it's something that, you know, people that have dealt with alcoholism will tell you it, it's not you get past it and it's done. Right. You deal so with it strong. every day for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And so you would hope that with the pressure ratcheted up, there were still other outlets for him to be able to deal with that. But I think that's something that would be a concern. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's talk about something else for a second. Let's talk talk about money. Money that everybody's going to get. Not us, everybody. SEC, everybody. Sports Business Daily with a bit of an update on the future of the ESPN, SEC, CBS going away deal. And the news on that kind of slowed through the holidays. So from the story that was written by... Uh, who was it, Borky? I don't remember, and I, it was behind a paywall, and now on this computer I can't pull it back up. So the, the gotcha. notes are the best I can give you. Yeah, I tried to as well. Probably John O'Rand. ESPN and the SEC are still working on the final details of what would move college football's top broadcast TV property to ABC from CBS. According to the story at Sports Business, the official announcement is not imminent as the holidays and the bowl games have fl- slowed some uh, some talks. Both sides had hoped to announce something around the national title game, but the deal isn't like it will be done uh, likely that it will be done in time. It will, however, likely be done within a few weeks after the national championship game. Ain't nothing really brown-breaking here. Uh, sources indicate to Sports Business Daily that the number is going to be in the low 300 millions annually. Currently, the deal is 55 million. I think there's been a lot of speculation about 350 being the number. Let's just call it 320. So 320 million, and and this is in terms of getting the new number, like the the additional revenue beyond what comes from CBS right now. One thing that I feel like everybody is missing that covers this, and it's a small thing, but it's a thing, okay? Everybody's saying, well, you split this new revenue by the 14 schools, and this is what everybody's going to get. That's not how it works. Revenue that comes in gets split 15 ways, not 14 ways. A share goes to the conference office for them to do all the things that they do. So it's not a huge difference, but it is a difference when you're dividing a piece of uh, a pie into 14 slices versus 15 slices. So backing 300, uh, backing the 55 million out of we'll call it 320 million, you're looking at a difference of 265 million dollars divided by 15. And that gets back to what we talked about six months ago, $17.5 million additional dollars per year. It's a lot of money. You're sure we're not getting any of it? Uh, fairly sure. <sighs> you need better agents. 
Uh, two things that, that I think, um, to me, the two biggest questions that have to be answered. I, you know, the money piece of it's one. But the two biggest questions that we don't yet know answers to. Number one, will this affect the current deal between ESPN and the Southeastern Conference with regard to the SEC network, which runs through 2034? My belief is that the answer to that is no, that this is going to be a separate deal. My, This is only a guess, and I don't even know that this is an educated guess. My guess is that whatever the new big deal is for the CBS property going over to ABC, they will do a shorter-length deal so that they run concurrently, and in 2034 when they expire, both deals will expire at the same time, and they'll negotiate it all together. I don't believe that there is any interest in tearing up the existing contract between ESPN and the SEC and just kind of redoing the whole thing. I could be wrong about that, but I think this is more of a standalone deal and it's going to be pushed in the direction of ABC versus ESPN. That's the first thing. The second thing, and I think the thing that's more fascinating, is is Disney, ABC, ESPN going to be able to buy out CBS? We know for a fact they're not going to be able to buy them out for $55 million a year, especially when they're about to pay $320 million a year for it. So how do you get to the number? And somebody pointed this out to me, and I thought it made a perfect amount of sense. ESPN could say, hey, CBS, you're paying $55 million. We'll pay you $150 million. We'll triple your money. And CBS is going to go, yeah, what we're paying is irrelevant. What's relevant for you to buy us out is what we are making on it. So if CBS is paying $55 million for it and they're making $300 million, they're netting $245 million out of this deal. They might say, we'll take $245 million plus 20%. I got no idea if that's something ESPN would be interested in or not. What do you think? Do you think that given the opportunity that I would think that that's something that both the SEC and Disney would want sooner rather than later. College Football Fix is next. Just after 5 o'clock with you, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Be sure to download the Ceasefire Health app. You can avoid the lines. You can avoid going to the doctor's office. And once you download the Ceasefire Health app, it's really quick to set up. If you've got a routine medical issue, you can click on the Ceasefire Health app link on your phone. It will connect you and schedule an appointment with a UMMC clinician who can diagnose based on your symptoms and, if need be, prescribe medicine for you and have it sent to your pharmacy. And for a limited time, for C Spire customers only, that's only a $29 visit. Likely cheaper than your current copay, even if you have insurance. 
Give it a try. Download the Seaspire Health app. You can learn more online at cspire.com. I'm sorry, cspirehealth.com. Really cool deal happening there. Um, email. This one came to me. Comment you made stating that MSU tried all it could to run Ole Miss's program into the ground is complete lunacy. I don't think I said it exactly that way, but fair enough. Program only pointed out uh, uh, the program only pointed out flaws known for years about the freeze regime in Oxford. I think your show is good, but blatantly slanted to the Ole Miss viewpoint. MSU staff and reporters were not the ones out calling hookers for players. Now who's the one making stuff up? Hot tub back there. Furthermore, I agree freeze to MSU is not a realistic take. Thanks, like the show. Appreciate the email, Will. There's a lot in your email that is factually inaccurate, but I do appreciate the email. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. The College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. And right now, you can uh, drive an SUV from Ford because they make SUVs the way they are supposed to be made. Drive it like a Ford. Drive a Ford SUV. Explore, Expedition, Check them out at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. On Thursday, you can join the Gallo Show at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. The day starts at the Jackson Downtown Convention Center Hotel with the event focusing on key issues that affect our state. You'll hear from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the speaker of the house, and other key legislators, and cap off the day with a luncheon reception. To sponsor or to register for MEC's Capital Day, go to mec.ms. All right, the college football fix driven by Ford. Let's talk a little bit about this Matt Rule thing. First of all, what do you guys make of Matt Rule of the Carolina Panthers? It, it seemed like he was going to be an NFL guy for the past few years, and it, he would, that he was going to have his pick of jobs, and it looked like that's how it played out for him. Uh, the Panthers are an interesting choice because – of, of all the, you know, what's going to happen with Cam Newton there. Um, but as a Saints fan, you know, that I feel like he made a division rival stronger by getting him. You know, you said it seemed like he was always going to be an NFL guy. He's only got one year as an assistant coach in the NFL. Yeah, but something about him seems professional. I don't know what it is. Yeah, NFL people have liked him, they liked the way he turned around Temple. They liked the way he turned around Baylor. And and it seems to be kind of a holistic thing as opposed to just a ball coach thing. Does that make any sense? I get it. Uh, there were some conflicting reports about the timing. Some say that he took the Panthers' job before interviewing with New York. But there are reports out there that saying he kind of reached out to New York and gave them a chance to counter. And the Giants were not ready to say... Sure, here's a counter offer. The job's yours if you want it. Which sounds reasonable. The uh, the owner of the Panthers Panthers representatives interviewed Matt Rule in Waco yesterday. Offered him the job. I think because the Giants had reached out and maybe there was a conversation scheduled. And Ralph uh, Ralph Facciano, who covers sports in New York for the 
Daily News, I think. Had some tweets yesterday that said, you know, odds were on Matt Rule becoming the next coach. Again, grew up in New York City, had worked with the Giants previously, and Giants fans were pretty excited about that. They had an interview scheduled for today, like a formal interview. And I don't know if that was in New York slash New Jersey or if it was going to happen in Waco also. But once the official offer was on the table from the Carolina Panthers, you can't blame Matt Rule at all for calling the Giants and saying, look, here's the offer, these are the terms, what do you think? And apparently the response from the Giants was, well, we still want to talk to you. But no, you're not the only candidate. At which point he said, thank you for your consideration, and he took the Panthers' job. Seven years, $60 million, with incentives that could make it up to $70 million. It's a pretty good gig. It's a cool $8.5 million a year, and you never have to call a 16-year-old and pretend like you're his friend. What is that? Probably about a million and a half, two million dollar raise for him. Yeah, you, not you. People forget just how big that contract was at Baylor. Which, by the yeah. way, the buyout is going to be paid in a lump sum within a couple of weeks. I guess the Panthers pay that, but that's a, yes. a nice little check that Baylor University is going to be getting here soon. Do we know what the buyout was? It's not public, no, and it may never be. Yeah. I want to say I saw somebody report somewhere along the way that it was in the neighborhood of $15 million. Ooh. That's a lot of money. But when you're dealing with a billionaire owner and that's his guy? Oh, that's nothing. I mean, can Some you imagine change. being in a position where you're like, hey, yeah, we'll just write the check? Uh, it was $6 million. $6 million was the buyout? Yes. Okay. His buyout was $6 million from Baylor? That is what I'm getting. Huh. Panthers paid Baylor a $6 million buyout to hire their new head coach, according to Adam Schefter. Wow. Okay. What does that guy know, though? That's an easier check to write than $15 million, but it's still... I don't know that many people who could just open their checkbook and write a check for $6 million and say, here you go. Just rippy. Good point. Borky, I mean, we, we've had a little bit of fun talking about the possibility of Hugh Freeze to Mississippi State. Is it really out there that Hugh Freeze could be a potential candidate for Baylor? Dari Noka was the first one to float that out there. I think he even used the phrase, don't be surprised. Um, let's see. I will find it. Yeah, watch for Baylor to look hard at hiring Hugh Freeze, was what he said. Could Baylor really go that route? I, mean, I guess they could. Yeah. They're, they're similar to Liberty in that they can use certain terminology to get their base riled up, and that's all that really matters is if their base believes whatever they're being sold. And you I can't imagine about you, college football. <laughs> you know what I mean. What um, a phrase. No, forgiveness and stuff like wait, that. Wait, hold on a second. Ian McCall... You no, were, I agree. I'm Ian McCall was the former athletics director at Baylor, right? The one that's at Liberty now? Yes. That's now at Liberty. Right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's amazing, right? They they can 
they can get away with that stuff more than just your regular public university can. Absolutely. And he probably would win there. Although I am surprised whoever gets that job, whether it be Billy Napier or they promote from within or whatever, uh, it's a great, the program's in great shape. They did just sign the worst recruiting class in the Big 12. Now they have fewer signees than everybody else, so they can make up ground and pass some people uh, in the next signing day. But I'm not kidding. The dead last recruiting class in the Big 12 right now. Yeah. Hey, Dad, bringing this back full circle to Mississippi State. Yes. Are you at a point where, and I, I'm, I'm not asking you to report this, do you have a gut feeling at this point? No. No, yesterday I, would, I, I did. I thought it was Judge, and I, I feel like my gut feeling was correct. Uh, now I, I, do not, I do not have a gut feeling. I feel like I will by this time tomorrow, because if they're going back to Napier, that's something that should happen pretty quickly, you would think. Yeah, but if if he gets if Napier gets away a second time, yeah, it, we could be you know Friday talking about this. I agree with you that I think Miss you know is again not reporting. Everything I've heard sounds like Mississippi State is about to do everything it can possibly do to get Billy Napier to say yes, and if he doesn't. I think Todd Grantham is going to be the next head coach at Mississippi State. That's probably correct, but I just don't have a complete feel for that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Let's talk with Bill Bender from the Sporting News after this on the Farm Bureau phone line. Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favrates.com and go with the home team. Again, it's favrates.com. Go there, type in your zip code. You can get a quote online for auto insurance or home insurance, or you can bundle the coverages and save with Mississippi Farm Bureau. That is your home team. Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill, it feels like we should have played the national championship game last night. 16 days between the semifinals and the national championship game is a long time. Yeah, I'm supposed to be on a plane home and done and, you know, having a beer and being done with the season. So not yet now I'm making jokes, but yeah, it does. It feels a little awkward. It, it, I... For me, having a semifinal and then 19 bulls after the semifinal feels weird. So I think it's I one of those scheduling quirks they have to get through. Is, are, are we in danger of losing any momentum, or will it just kind of it'll, it'll all rebuild starting Thursday and then crescendo on Monday night? No, I think we still have a great game Monday. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting down there and having some fun. And you know, I think the big stories are obvious. You know, on one side. Team trying to win 30 straight on the other. This storybook season for Ed Orgeron and um, LSU, and then you got these two quarterbacks in the middle of it that are playing flawless football. Um, Joe Burrow, in particular, just lights out all yeah. season. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is that ups and downs, but he proved it, Richard, in that 94-yard drive against Ohio State. That I don't know if you want anybody else to fall with the game on the line. You know, Bill, I, I talked to Cole Kubelik the Friday before the semifinal games. I said, Cole, I said, nobody's really given Oklahoma a chance. I said, make a case for me for Oklahoma knocking off LSU. And he paused for a second. He said, I can't do it. He said, I've tried every way possible to figure out a route, and I just don't see a route to that. So I'll say the same thing to you. Make a case for me for Clemson 
beating LSU in this championship game? Uh, the red zone defense shows up. Maybe they frustrate Burrow into a couple turnovers, and Brent Venables, who had all this time to game plan, comes up with a few wrinkles that confuses LSU. And, and you know, this defense, they've given up the fewest first downs. And on the other side, you know, Trevor Lawrence can get hot with that talent they have, and, and they've got plenty of it too. So, for me, the case for Clemson is the case that we've seen against Alabama on this spotlight the last couple of years. I thought last year Clemson really didn't have a chance against Alabama. I got that one wrong, really wrong. And, uh, you know, they, they're not going to back down from this challenge because they've been in plenty of heavyweight fights. How do we get past the all-shucks Clemson? And <laughs> or, or, or is that just Dabo and we're never getting past that? Uh, he's always going to say it. We were having this case. So let's walk through this real quick. If, if Clemson wins, that's 30 in a row. And next year, what does America like? What does America just hate? People that win all the time, right? So mm-hmm. I think they'll become the villain next year. Where we'll pick, we're already doing it. We're already picking at the ACC and Dabo and, you know, we'll, we'll find reasons to pick at Trevor Lawrence next year. And I think most of it's with that schedule because it looks like a little bit of a free ride to get there. But, yeah, they'll, they'll become a villain like Alabama did and the Hurricanes did. And even I, – I was telling the guys in the budget meeting that I said the one team I just couldn't stand, even though I knew how good they were and I appreciated it, were those USC teams with Pete Carroll. That's a good point. Yeah, so, I mean, but, you know, but, these teams will – yeah, we're, we're going to end up not liking Clemson at the end of the day if they keep winning. Good. D- did USC ever take on that full-on villain role? No, they didn't. And I don't think Alabama really did other than people just didn't like Nick Saban. And, and they weren't fly- – I think Miami was the one that had the full-fledged underdog role in the 80s, and they embraced it, and they were really good at it. Um, you know, but, but Clemson is going to be this juxtaposition of – this miraculous story of them building a superpower in a, in a state where they're probably the second most followed team in the state behind South Carolina to they've won 30 in a row and people just don't like, I mean, look at pro sports. Who do people hate the most? Probably the Yankees and the Patriots. And uh, I didn't see too many people feeling sorry for the Patriots losing on Saturday. You know, taking Pat, you, you throw trying to get to 30 in a, a O out. So, so 29-0 in their last 29 games. But if you want to take it a step farther than that, going back to the 2015 season, so this year going back to 15, so you're talking about a span of five seasons, Clemson is 69-4, and and they've played in three of the last four, now about to be four of the last five national championship games. I mean, th- those, are, those are Nick Saban Alabama numbers, period. That's remarkable, the run they've been on in these – I think the most remarkable part of it for me, Richard, is that they go from a guy like Taj Boyd, who sets a bunch of records, and you're like, how how are they going to top that? And then they get Deshaun Watson, who is just doing his thing. And what a joy he was to watch in the NFL playoffs on Saturday carry that team to a playoff win. And then they go from that to Trevor Lawrence, who's got, you know, all these records coming through, probably going to be a number one pick. And then the guy behind him is a number one recruit. It's it's. Just remarkable what Dabo has been able to accomplish there. 
Give me some perspective on Joe Burrow. I mean, we, we've used all the different words and all the different phrases that we can to describe him, and Heisman Trophy winner, and you know, did so in the most dramatic, well, not dramatic, maybe the least dramatic fashion, but biggest landslide in the history of the Heisman. Is there anything left to say about Joe Burrow in the season that he's had? Oh, this is just it. This is that Heisman test when you play on the biggest stage, and he showed he could do it against Oklahoma. I mean, for me, it's the personal attachment of, He's a Southeast Ohio kid, too. And, um, you know, I, I've been showing him to my son all, all fall. I said, you know, that guy's from right down the road and has done so much for the people there with the food pantry and not forgetting where he came from. And I just think it's remarkable that he's been able to not forget where he came from, like I said, from Athens or Ohio State even, and then built this remarkable new home in LSU and kind of become an adopted son of sorts. And it's crazy. And I know you're – you, you and I, are, you're not that much older than me, I don't think, but to put him in the same sentence as Billy Cannon and, and what Billy Cannon meant to that program, it, it's, it's unreal. I would have never guessed that at the beginning of the year. Why did you just assume I was older than you? Well, how old are you? I, 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 how, I'm, <laughs> I'm 39. I was born in 1980. Okay, so I'm 40. So we're both in our 40s. That's fair. But I No, we're not both in our 40s. I'm not there yet. <laughs> You're 39. Not yet. Yeah, I'm 39. Oh, I am older than you. Oh, my gosh. Now I feel bad. So, um, okay. yeah, I mean, I knew we were about the same age then. So, man, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm under, that's this is only the second time that's ever happened on the radio. So now I feel bad. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't hold a grudge. Uh, I'm not that upset about it. <laughs> I know I'm older than Michael. I know that for sure. Yes, that, that's a true statement. And then you're like, you know, light years older than Rippy. He's like 12. So, yeah, did you graduate in 98? Are we the same age here? I graduated high school in 1999, spring of 99. Oh, gosh, I would have been one year older than you. That's crazy. But, yeah, I mean, so same perspective that we know, you know, I, I just, like I said, to, to kind of spin this right in the back, back in the right direction, you know, for all, those of us that know about Billy Cannon, LSU, and this program, and we've watched it. You and I both remember a time when LSU was nothing in the SEC, essentially. Oh, yeah. And their rise has been interesting. And for Ed Orgeron to bring that back after kind of the dip they took at the end of the Les Miles era, it's pretty remarkable. There were the Bill Arnsbarger days in the uh, in the late 80s, and then you went to the Curly Hallman days, and then the Jer- uh, Jerry DiNardo days. I mean, there were a lot of times that LSU fans would just as soon leave in the, uh, the rearview mirror. Let me ask you this, Bill. We'll kind of switch gears away from the national championship game. Obviously, the the focus where we are since last Thursday has been on Mississippi State. The uh, the decision to move on from Joe Moorhead and to try and get a new head coach. What's your perspective on that from where you sit? Well, you know, uh, okay, so I'm I'm a northerner, a Yankee, whatever you want to call me. Um, I always wondered how that would play out down there with Moorhead, being a, a guy from Pittsburgh. And, you know, when he was, I was down at that first SEC media day with him, I remember talking to you about it, that, you know, I, I thought it was interesting how he was kind of acclimating to his surroundings. But there were com- combinations of reasons that, that I think he's gone. And some of it was the disappointment of the Bulls season. I think the Lane Kiffin hire may have had a role in that because that was the big splash hire of this offseason. So, now, what does Mississippi State do in return? I don't know who fits, but whoever does, I'm guessing is going to fit a little bit better 
than what uh, Joe Moorhead did. I still think he's a bright offensive mind. I think he's a guy that's cut out for that like pit job, if that ever comes open, something like that, or another Big Ten job. That's where he'll end up. Yeah. We'll see what the uh, the future holds for him. It's going to be fun. National championship game coming up on Monday night. Hope to see you in New Orleans, my friend. I'll be down there, and you can call me an old man, and I owe you a beer or a drink, whatever you want, okay? <laughs> I, I like it. I, I like it. Always good talking with you, Bill. We'll catch you soon. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. That's Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Great work. You, you can read his work. Follow him on Twitter. There's a uh, lot of good stuff. He's one of the uh, the really level-headed guys that covers college football nationally and always a fun conversation with Bill. Take a quick time out. Bill Bender joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Tuesday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi. This will all end before too much longer, and then we'll be sad, won't we? Hey, Dad. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think we can make it drag all the way to uh, the baseball season, so yeah. Or to signing day? Uh, yeah, I don't think we can make that. Today is the 7th of January, so we are one month and seven days from opening day of college baseball season. Yeah. That's exciting. Rippy, you seem less, you seem nonplussed. How many days? Uh, well, there's, it's, it's the 14th of February. Today's the 7th of January with 31 minus 7 is 24 plus 14 is what, 38? Is that right? Still got a while. Five weeks from Friday. Thanks for what we're getting at. By the way, that was high level math for me. Yeah. Well, at least we already know the forecast. <laughs> 70 and sunny, baby. That's what it'll be. We'll see. And it will be glorious for the opening day of the college baseball season. Let's talk hoops for a second. So Ole Miss is at Texas A&M tonight. you got four games in the SEC. Kentucky and Georgia uh, play at the same time Ole Miss and Texas A&M do. Um, tomorrow, we'll get to tomorrow in just a second. Mississippi State plays tomorrow night. So tonight, Florida-South Carolina at 6 on ESPNU. Tennessee-Missouri at 6 on SEC Network. Kentucky-Georgia at 8 on ESPN. Ole Miss-Texas A&M at 8 uh, SEC Network. Uh, big picture first. What's the importance of this game tonight for Ole Miss? To avoid an RP or excuse me, net catastrophe. I keep one of these days. I'm going to stop doing that. But A and M not very good. They really struggle to score. I mean, it kind of is what it is. Six and six with some pretty rough looking losses. They lost to something called Fairfield. Like <laughs> I, I just. It, you need, it, you need and to you love it disaster. when he does that, don't you? You need to avoid something called this. I mean, this has potential for talk about an offensively challenged team, Ole Miss in its own right. This, I mean, this has potential to be a bit of a rock fight. So, Ole Miss sixty eight in the net, Texas A and M worst in the SEC. They are at one eighty five. Believe in that's the net. worst by a long, mar- wide margin, is it not? It is. Vanderbilt's at one twenty three. Yeah. South Carolina is at one nineteen. Everybody else in the league's top eighty. So it's Auburn at 6, Arkansas 24, LSU 31, Georgia 36, Kentucky 37, Florida 52, Missouri 57, Alabama 64, Ole Miss 68, Mississippi State 76, and Tennessee at 80. Yeah, I mean... As a whole, it's not terrible. You know, 11 of your 14 teams are in the top 80. 
And you've got one, two, three, four, five in the top 50. But you're not going to get the boost that you got a year ago if you're in league play. Right? Yes. There are fewer chances at quality wins. Yeah. I didn't even know there were this. You, I've talked about A&M struggling to score. 57.8 points per game. That is good for 445th in the country. I didn't know there were that many. Teams. No, there are only 300-something teams. Exactly. So I don't know where uh, this is per ESPN. So I'm not even sure where that comes from. Um, can Ole Miss go and get this win on the road? Yes. Can. What do they need to do to uh, to win tonight? Defend pretty well and be a lot better in half-court offense. I think they can defend at a level to where A&M just really does not have much of a prayer. I mean, talking 50-ish. But, I mean, Ole Miss is going to have to be better offensively, and that starts in the backcourt. When you look at kind of the SEC league numbers, statistics, scoring offense, Ole Miss is 10th. Averaging 71.2 points per game. Texas A&M just shy of 58 per game. Scoring defense, Ole Miss is 10th. They're giving up 66 a game. Texas A&M is giving up 62. But A&M is the only team in the SEC with a negative scoring margin. And they're sitting there at 6-6. Six and six. Um, That best player for Texas A&M is it Josh Lebo. I think that's probably the name that you uh, you watch for. Uh, in terms of leading the conference in scoring, Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt, 23.5 points per game. He's the only player in the SEC averaging more than 20 per game. That was a ESPN typo, by the way. 347 out of 353. No, 400 was wrong. Yeah, seemed a little... I didn't know we were pulling D2 or D3 into it. Oh. Reggie Perry leads the SEC in rebounding. Hey, Dad, we've talked about him a lot throughout the course of the year, that he was capable of a double-double pretty much every night, and he is now Mm -hmm. averaging a double-double, sitting on 10.0 in terms of rebounds per game. Last two games for Reggie Perry. Let me see if I can do the math in my head. Uh, 47 points and 29 rebounds. That's really good. Yeah, that's not bad. That is, and that's how you get that average up the uh, the way they have. Yeah, Josh Nebo leads Texas A and M eleven and a half points per game. Brian Tyree still the leading scorer for Ole Miss sixteen and a half per game, uh, but has not been uh, has not been great throughout the year. In other SEC action tonight, looks like Ashton Hagens is going to give it a go for Kentucky. Had uh, calf injury, I think is how they termed it on uh, on Saturday in the win over Missouri. Uh, is going to attempt to play a little bit of a homecoming game for him. Uh, going back to the uh, to the state of Georgia, I think that could be a fun game. Both of those teams ten and three. Uh, Kentucky got the win against Missouri. Georgia did not play an SEC game. They went to Memphis and won on Saturday. It will be electric. That's a they've done a lot to Stegman Coliseum. It will be packed to the gills and firing on all cylinders tonight. So uh, that one may be fun to uh, fun to watch. I'll probably flip back and forth uh, between those two games that are going on at the same time. Tomorrow, Mississippi State at Alabama, Arkansas at LSU, Vanderbilt at Auburn. That's a tough assignment for Vanderbilt after the heartbreaking loss at home to SMU in overtime. You just run into the team that is one of two undefeated in the entire country. 
and is number six in the net rankings. Arkansas and LSU is fascinating. I think LSU is playing a little bit better basketball now. They're a talented roster, but Arkansas just keeps winning. They had, you know, nice start for them in SEC play, getting to host Texas A&M to begin things. But, you know, the Razorbacks get a 10-point win, completely sold out Bud Walton Arena on Saturday. But that's a tough one having to go to Baton Rouge. I guess the good news is maybe LSU fans will all be focused on football on the horizon. You would think. You would hope. We'll find out. I'll be down there. You'll be in Baton Rouge? Saturday? Tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. I'm sorry. Saturday I'll be in Baton Rouge. Oh. You're going to go down to cover that game? Yeah. There you go. I misheard you there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm talking about Arkansas at LSU tomorrow. And then Mississippi State. I would think they would certainly, by the time you get to Saturday, be looking ahead to football. Yeah. I would would agree on that point. Is it clear cut to you guys that Auburn's the best team in the SEC, or are you not ready to say that? They're the best team right now, but... It's a long season. Are the only other two teams that you could point to as being in that conversation Kentucky and Florida? Or do you need to wait and see? It's a lot more wait and see, but right now, yeah. If you said rank the top three, that's it right there, and it's in that order, I think. Yeah. Kentucky seems to be starting to figure some things out, and maybe the biggest reason... Well, two biggest reasons. One, Nick Richards is playing like a monster down low. So that's the first part. The second part is Tyrese Maxey is all of a sudden playing like a freshman All-American. And they need him to score. Yeah, his, his two best games this year, and he had a good game against Missouri on Saturday, but his two best games are against Michigan State in the season opener when they were ranked number one and he went out for 26, and then when they uh, when they played Louisville. And he had 28, I think it was, in the game against Louisville. So it's pretty good. Pretty good. So that's kind of what's coming up hoops-wise. If uh, if you do want to look ahead to the weekend, the, the full slate of games this weekend, Alabama's at Kentucky, South Carolina's at Tennessee, Texas A&M goes to Vanderbilt, Ole Miss will play its first home SEC game on Saturday when they host Arkansas. Game is at 5 on the SEC Network. Georgia is at Auburn, and as Haydad mentioned a second ago, you got Mississippi State at LSU, and then you wrap the day up with uh, Florida at Missouri. So that's what's coming up on Saturday. Sports Talk Mississippi, you can always text the show, ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. Richard and Wiggins, Borky, you got supper plans? Um, I'm confused by the question. He wants to know if you have supper plans. I generally eat at night most days. What are you going to eat, I think, is the question. I'm probably going to pick up some food on the way home after okay. I leave the studio. I, I don't What know. is the picture that he sent? It's kind of gross. Oh, oh, I'm just looking at the text. Yeah, that looks like a uh, little octopi. Mm. What if it's just one? There's multiple, it looks like. Y'all have fun with that. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll wrap it up next.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.